You know, if we think about how digestion works, so foods that produce gas for us, for mom, like some of the cruciferous vegetables like broccoli or Brussels sprouts or things like onions, they do that in our digestive system, right? So it's in our stomach, it's in our small intestine, our large intestine. But breast milk is made from blood. Um, and we typically don't think of our blood as being gassy. You know, the gas from our intestines doesn't pass into our bloodstream. This podcast is partially supported by the Real Food for Real Moms postpartum prep guide. Hillary Bennett and I are nutritionists, and we co-created this resource to inform and empower mothers and prepare for a healthy and happy postpartum period. In our guide, we cover the unique nutrient needs of the postpartum mom and dive deep into the various aspects of recovery and lactation. We make sure mom and baby both have their bases covered, and we pair this with yummy recipes that will make it easy to stay nourished. Our guide takes you through practical steps for stocking your freezer with casseroles, soups, snacks, and so much more, as well as giving you convenient recipes for after the baby comes. As a listener of this podcast, we're inviting you to be a part of our beta launch. You can snag a copy now for 30% off and we'll send you the final version once it's released later this year. You can also get a free sneak peek by going to realfoodforrealmoms.com and joining our email list. We're so excited to have you as a part of this community and we look forward to supporting you through motherhood. Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing podcast where we empower women to better support their families. Our goal is to educate on real food, raising little ones, and becoming our best selves. everyone. I'm Michelle Taggy. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I have a master's in analytics and I am the co-author of the postpartum prep guide on real root food for real moms.com. I am excited to say that it is out and I'm a mom to three-year-old Connor and seven-month-old Ashlyn. I work part-time in insurance and I just finished breastfeeding to start this episode about breastfeeding. So I'm excited to dig in. So this is another episode in our postpartum series, and Hillary is guest hosting with me again. Hi, Hillary. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me back. And for those who haven't met me, I'm Hillary. I left the world of corporate consulting to study nutrition and to start my business, Purposeful Plate. I provide nutrition consulting to moms and moms-to-be and business consulting to companies in the health and wellness space. I'm also the mom to two-year-old Mason, and we live in Denver, Colorado. And tonight we are so excited to talk to Megan. Megan McMillan is a registered dietitian and international board certified lactation consultant. And she owns a private practice called Mama and Sweet Pea Nutrition that focuses on prenatal and postpartum nutrition as well as lactation. Megan is active in several nutrition and lactation advocacy groups, and she's also a free writer and keynote speaker. The mom of two littles, she lives in the Chicagoland area and enjoys hot coffee, boot camp workouts, and R&B music. Her goal is to empower women with the confidence they need to nourish themselves and their babies. I just love that. Obviously, we're all about nourishment here on the podcast. So hi, Megan. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm so excited. I feel like this is a long time coming. You and I got, um, Hillary and I actually met at a Modern Mama's retreat. And you and I first started talking about like um, them potentially having a retreat out here in the Midwest. And I'm like, oh, I just want to meet more people. Like the people in the retreats were just so cool. Um, so it's just cool that this this community is like expanding. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I love them, and I really did want <laughs> want to attend a retreat, and I still do. Hopefully, I can make it to one of the virtual ones one of these days. But yeah, it's it's a really cool, um, little community that they've kind of built. So yeah, Hillary and I met in the retreat, which, uh, was about a year ago now. So yeah, I know. I can't believe it. The world has changed so much since then. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes. There's no in-person retreats, but yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely cool to like have the circle expanding and get to meet new people in like adjacent fields. So like I mentioned to you, Hillary and I are working on a resource for postpartum women. So we've talked about several different topics on the podcast together. So we've talked to like fitness postpartum and Ayurvedic medicine. So this is just an awesome topic and we're so excited to have you on as an expert. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. Um, It's, you know, breastfeeding is something I'm super passionate about. Um, I could geek out on it. (laughs) And I think sometimes I do when people wonder if I'll stop talking, but um, no, I'm really excited to be here. No, I just absolutely love your nutrition or your content on Instagram And yeah, it's just such a consuming topic, like for a lot of women's when when they're in that period. And I know for my first, it was like all I thought about for seven months. And luckily this time has been easier and given me some space. But uh, yeah, when you're in it, it's like, like, so top priority in your life. So it really is. It really is. Yeah. And it, you know, it can seem like a, like a full-time job almost, you know, um, but it's, uh, it is, it is a little bit all encompassing. You're right. As a, as, especially as a new mom, I think as a first time mom who hasn't been through the experience of breastfeeding and kind of doesn't know what to expect, it can seem a little bit overwhelming. And so I hope that's where somebody like myself comes in or, you know, any lactation consultant can come in and just kind of help mom, Um, feel more confident and, you know, ease any worries and answer questions, just provide support because it's a, it's a brand new skill for both mom and baby. Yeah. And I think it's hard to even know like when to get help because I I know for me, we had issues. My son had a tongue tie, but we didn't get, we didn't find out until later. So there's just so many unknowns and like a lot of bad help and bad Google searches out there. Yes. So I definitely <laughs> want to bring some of that information to the forefront. Definitely. There is a lot of bad information out there. You are right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Um, well, can you talk about yourself? Like, how did you decide to kind of merge these worlds of nutrition and breastfeeding and what led you there? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it, it's kind of an interesting story, actually, um, and not many people realize, but this is actually a second career for me. So I um, be, I was originally in the hospitality industry. Um, I was working in restaurant management and then uh, hotel sales and catering management. And um, I did that for about six years. And then I kind of just got to a point where I realized that that industry uh, wasn't going to support the type of lifestyle I wanted to have just in terms of having a family. Um, especially because it's just, you know, it's kind of a 24 seven industry. You work a lot of holidays and nights and weekends. And, um, there was just some other things. It's just, it's kind of a different beast. If you've ever worked in the hospitality industry, then you understand that. And, um, I got to a point where I realized that was not going to be, um, my like forever career. And so, Um, I had been on a personal health journey and, uh, decided to see if that was something I could, you know, pursue, um, just helping others in that way. And so I ended up going, um, and getting my master's degree in nutrition. Um, I did the internships, uh, that were required to do it's, um, a thousand clinical hours to become a dietitian. And then you have to sit for exam as well. So I did that, but um, I knew right away when I decided to go into nutrition that I was going to work in maternal and child health. And a big part of that was the influence that my mom had on me growing up. So my mom um, had five kids and some of us were born at home and she was a La Leche League leader. So um, I don't know if people aren't familiar with La Leche League. It's a pretty well-known um worldwide, uh, breastfeeding support group. And so my mom was a leader and she would have meetings like at our house. And so I was just breastfeeding to me was very normal. All five of us were breastfed for like two plus years. It was just something that I always saw. And, 
I was very comfortable with it. And it, to me, if you didn't breastfeed, it was weird. <laughs> so um, it was just something that, again, growing up was very normal. And I knew, like I said, when I decided to pursue nutrition, that I would pursue, uh, you know, women and children. Um, I really was uh, interested in prenatal nutrition to start. And um, I did a lot of my my work and my thesis and my papers and stuff on that. And then I started working in a local NICU and um, I had just had my first child. And so I was breastfeeding and working in the NICU really kind of opened my eyes and fueled my passion for breastfeeding because breastfeeding in the NICU is a real challenge um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, and that could be a whole nother topic, <laughs> but, um, th- some of the things that I, you know, witnessed in the NICU setting, some of the things I was told in the NICU setting just didn't really sit well with me. And I, I felt kind of, as we just mentioned, I felt like moms were getting misinformation or weren't being supported maybe in the best way possible. And so I decided that I was going to, um, pursue the IBCLC credential. Um, so I did, and I was able to do that with the hours that I worked in the NICU, Um, So I sat for the exam last April and passed, and then I started my own private practice. And that's, that's where we are now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think, you know, Michelle and I have sort of similar backgrounds in sort of coming to discover nutrition and and decide to make that more a, a part of our careers instead of just, you know, an interest that we have. I know I spent some time in the corporate world and then made the shift as well into nutrition. So I love that story. And I'm curious, what were some of the things that you observed in the NICU in that hospital setting that really kind of sparked your fire to get into this world? When a baby is admitted to the NICU, in most hospitals, moms don't stay. Um, And so you're immediately separated from your baby. And if you are trying to breastfeed, that's a big challenge because you automatically um, are exclusively pumping. And so as much as where I worked uh, could provide support for moms that were exclusively pumping, and they did, they had a lactation consultant on staff, and there was a weekly support group that moms could go to, and moms were encouraged to go to. I still felt like it wasn't enough. Um, I felt like a lot of times moms kind of fell off because they were exhausted, um, because sometimes some of the things that the doctors or nurses would tell them was basically like, you know, well, you did, you did a good enough job. You can, you should feel good about what you did and you can stop if you want to, which is true. But I also think sometimes it would have been nice for those moms to get a little bit more encouragement and a little bit more support. Um, There was also, I think this happens not necessarily just in a NICU setting, but sometimes with doctors in general. And, and, and please know when I say this, that I don't think all doctors are, you know, bad or, or um, uninformed or not educated or anything like that. But it does happen. Um, you know, sometimes they would talk about their own personal experiences with breastfeeding or their, you know, their partner's experience with breastfeeding. And then they would provide that almost as medical advice. Um, sometimes they would talk about I, I, I witnessed some saying basically that breast milk and formula were the same thing. Um, so I just, there was some things that were happening that I just felt like weren't, uh, either correct or weren't, like I said, maybe the best type of support or the best type of information that the moms were given. Yeah. And it's so hard. I feel like to find that balance because you don't want a mom to feel guilty for any reason, but you also don't want to kind of encourage her to give in when you know there's a huge opportunity for her to, to kind of mend that relationship a little bit. Right, right. And then there's also just challenges in the NICU in and of itself. I mean, a lot of the babies that are really premature, they, they can't latch. They, they, you know, they're just not, they're not old enough. They're not mature enough. They're not big enough. They're not strong enough to latch. They're too fragile. So they can't sometimes even be held, which is incredibly sad. Um, but you know, I I think that also would frustrate moms in the sense where they would feel like, what's the point? Like this is never going to happen type of a thing. Um, 
And then there was moms who really were adamant about getting their baby, um, you know, to breast and trying to get them latched. And sometimes they were met with, um, uh, you know, not necessarily like opposition, but again, maybe not the most supportive um, opportunities to do so. No, and I like what you said, Hillary, about finding that balance because I was pretty much an exclusive pumper with my son and he was not premature, but he had the tongue tie. So it just, it made things very difficult and I became more of an exclusive pumper and it's hard and it's, there are a lot more supply issues with a pump and I dealt with that and I like, like it took everything I had to produce like two more ounces of milk a day And so there's kind of these like schools of thoughts where some people are maybe quitting too soon, but there's also some, some, uh, support you can get that's so pro breastfeeding beyond what the woman can handle that that's not really like, I don't think I did what was best for my family at that time because it was so draining to me. So, um, and obviously I'm very pro breastfeeding, but it was literally like supplementing two ounces a day that I was obsessing about. (laughs) Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, I think that's really true. I think there is definitely kind of this fine line. Um, and for me personally, as a lactation consultant, it just, it always goes back to support and making sure that, you know, what, what is the underlying issue? Like what, what is it that mom is struggling with and is there a solution? And if if the solution is to stop or to cut back or whatever it might be, then that's fine. Um, I just want to make sure that moms always have the information that they need and, and the support that they, they need without it being pushy or overwhelming. Yes. So it, it definitely, there is, there is some finesse to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a lot of what we're trying to do with this postpartum resource is like, even what you were saying about wanting to go into prenatal, like there's a lot out there on prenatal and there's not really as much in terms of support available for the postpartum period. Like people just aren't talking about it as much. And that's, yeah, I think we see this need for support and it's like, find help from somebody first and then we will help point you in the right direction if we're not the exact right person to advise you on that. But, um, cause it should be looked at as like one unit almost like mom and baby in those early months, they're, they're really one being still. <laughs> so Absolutely. if mom is completely depleted, that's not great for baby either. Even if you think you're like doing everything for baby. 100%. Yep. I completely agree. And we always talk about that. We talk about the mom and baby dyad. So it's, they are one in the same. Absolutely. You can't really be, um, you know, treating one or attending to one or supporting one without doing the other or without the other. They, 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 they go together. They're, uh, you know, there's no, um, separating the two. Yeah. And then I, I, one other thing I thought was interesting, like just back to some of your content on Instagram, like what you were saying about, oh, they just say like formula and breast milk is the same, or a lot of hospitals that will automatically give formula to the babies right after birth, which, you know, you could speak to more than me, but might not be ideal for the breastfeeding relationship. But like, where does the research from <laughs> on breastfeeding come from? Right. Yeah. The, and yeah. Any of any of that comes from like the pockets of the formula companies. It does. It does. There is, you know, and and I don't. <laughs> I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but there's definitely, you know, I think people are fooling themselves if they don't think that there is big, big money in formula and the hospitals. Um, benefit from it um, in terms of a lot of things, uh, marketing materials, uh, supplies for the labor and delivery units, supplies for the NICU, um, research grants. Um, Sometimes there's, there's things going back um, where they used to be, they would like fund the building of a new nursery, you know, would be funded by a pharmaceutical company or a formula company. So there's definitely some politics and some um, financial intermingling 
um, which, you know, I, I think is really hard to then say there's no bias. So I, I think that's something that we always have to be thinking about in the back of our minds when when we're talking about breastfeeding initiatives within a hospital setting. Well, we can get off the conspiracy path, (laughs) (laughs) but it is, I do think it's important to like follow the dollar, but. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And consider the incentives of different people, I think too, whenever, um, kind of whenever you're you're making those decisions. So anyway, um, in terms of just kind of, you know, things that you hear out there, I was even confused. You hear a lot about certain foods that women should avoid when they're breastfeeding. And I remember hearing a lot about like broccoli and cauliflower saying that like, oh no, your baby's going to get gassy or he'll sleep better if you don't, you know, eat these certain foods. Um, So I'm curious if you can share anything about that, like whether there are specific foods that would make a baby gassy or, you know, spicy foods that would contribute to reflux or anything like that. Yeah. So in general, um, you know, in theory, there's really nothing that you can't eat while you're breastfeeding. Um, It's it's very different from what the typical recommendations are for pregnancy. Um, You know, those don't apply to lactation and um, you really can eat whatever you want. Now, there's a couple of things that I do recommend avoiding um, because they can have an effect on your supply. But again, these aren't things that women are typically eating on a day-to-day basis. And it's just two things. And one is sage and one is peppermint. And really, um, you would have to be consuming those in large amounts, like in therapeutic doses to see an effect on your supply. But in terms of things that are like, um, you know, safe for baby or will they upset baby's stomach or things like that? um, You know, Really, no. Um, some of this is old wives' tales that's kind of been passed down from generation to generation. But, you know, if we think about how digestion works, so, you know, foods that produce gas for us, for mom, like some of the cruciferous vegetables like broccoli or Brussels sprouts or things like onions, they do that in our digestive system, right? So it's in our stomach, it's in our small intestine, our large intestine. But breast milk is made from blood. Um, and we typically don't think of our blood as being gassy. Um, you know, the gas from our intestines doesn't pass into our bloodstream. Now, some broken down proteins will enter our bloodstream and therefore pass into breast milk. And sometimes those can um, cause, you know, gassiness, fussiness, maybe a little bit of excessive spit up, um, uh, things like that, that might indicate that maybe baby is a little bit intolerant to whatever that protein might be. So dairy is usually the biggest culprit, but in terms of causing like, again, like broccoli or cauliflower, things like that, causing gassiness, it really doesn't, it's not something that happens to every baby every time. Um, I certainly think that it probably can, there can be some instances where a baby might be really sensitive to broccoli but in general, I would not recommend cutting those things out of your diet just, you know, just to be safe or just in case. Um, same with spicy foods. Obviously, we, we know there's so many cultures around the world that eat spicy foods on a regular basis, and, and um, they certainly do breastfeed. Um, it's also actually really good to expose your baby to different types of flavors and spices uh, through their breast milk. Um, so, so all that to say, there's really nothing that women need to avoid when breastfeeding. So on the spicy food, that was something I was really interested in because I think Hillary was even on the phone with me when my baby was a couple weeks old. I like <laughs> yeah. ate some curry and then breastfed her and then she was sp- spitting up. And then I like freaked out about it for <laughs> a while and wouldn't touch it. But then I, I talked to a friend who is a lactation consultant. She's like, yeah, sometimes babies spit up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did, would you think it was the spicy food? Or like if if there's something that makes the baby spit up, is it something you should avoid? Or is it just like maybe the flavor was startling? So I really think you would have to see a pattern before you could make any type of correlation. 
Um, if it was a one-time thing, I, w- I personally would not say that this was caused by the curry. I would, I would be <laughs> along the lines of what the other lactation consultant told you, which is babies spit up. Um, if it was something you were consistently seeing, then that's a different story. Um, you know, I'm not saying it, it never happens. I, I definitely believe moms when they say that, Hey, I think this is causing my baby to spit up. Um, but I usually like to see some sort of a pattern. Um, I, I don't know that a one-time instance would make me tell the mom to stop eating that food. Yeah. I think even that is helpful. Like look for a pattern because I Mm -hmm. think when we have a newborn, we want to like, I don't know, freak out about every little thing. (laughs) Yes, you're right. (laughs) We do. Absolutely. And that's, and I think that's again, having enough, enough awareness to, to be able to see a pattern if it were there, but not so much that we, we need to like think everything is caused by something. Right. Exactly. Because the, you know, the hard part, the hard part of having a new baby is that you don't know what's going on, right? They, I mean, they can't really communicate with us much other than crying and crying could be for a lot of different reasons. And so there is this kind of, you know, guesswork that moms have to do and that can cause a lot of anxiety. And so I, I think, again, that's part of my personal mission is to help calm some of those, um, you know, anxiety provoking thoughts that happen when we have new babies and help moms feel more confident in their ability to, you know, know what they're doing and to understand their baby's cues and to just, um, you know, trust their bodies. So on what you said about like the dairy, obviously that's one we hear about a lot. And I love, like you have a lot of content where you can Uh, for women who are avoiding dairy to still get the nutrients they need. But how would that look? And like, at what point would you avoid or ask somebody to try avoiding dairy? Like what kind of symptoms would you see? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, And it does come up all the time. Um, So there's a couple of things that are kind of very obvious symptoms and like red flags for a milk protein intolerance. And and the biggest one is um, blood in the stool. So if a baby is having blood um, in their poop, that is a pretty good indication that there's some inflammation occurring and usually dairy is the culprit. So that's kind of the big one that that almost automatically if a baby presents with, with blood in their stool, that's kind of a first line um, intervention is to remove milk from mom's diet. So other things like, um, that I would like to see, you know, is the spit up a lot of times it's spit up that moms are worried about. It really needs to be kind of excessive. Um, meaning they're spitting up large amounts, pretty much every feed. Uh, I think also though, if it's the only symptom I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump to eliminating anything from the diet unless again, mom has made a pretty obvious correlation to what she's eating. Um, you know, if there's a cluster of symptoms like excessive spit up, um, eczema, um, and you know, uh, mucousy stools, if all three of those things are happening and mom comes to me and says, I'm pretty sure this is happening because I'm eating dairy then I would say, okay, let's, let's try to remove dairy from your diet and see what happens. So it's really hard to give kind of, you know, a blanket recommendation across the board. I do usually take them on a case by case basis because sometimes some of these things that we might think are, you know, an intolerance or an allergic reaction are actually just normal baby behavior, or sometimes they're breastfeeding issues. You know, Excessive spit up can be because of an oversupply or an overactive letdown. And so a lot of times I think it puts me specifically in a unique position to be able to address both. Um, you know, so one of the first things I do is, is ask, okay, let's, let's talk about breastfeeding first. I want to know, you know, do you, you know, is baby kind of choking and sputtering, um, popping on and off at the breast? Because that can sometimes be a sign of overactive letdown. You know, I want to know how the baby is being bottle fed. If a baby is being bottle fed, like where they're basically the baby is in control of the bottle and slams, you know, four ounces in five minutes, 
that can cause a lot of gas um, because they're doing a lot of gulping. So sometimes these symptoms are not related to diet at all. Um, and if we can figure that out, then it saves mom from having to do any sort of elimination diet. That's really interesting. And I hadn't heard that about the stool. Mm. And I think it's something like I used to do a paleo diet and we, we as a people like (laughs) ex paleo people like are so quick to jump to eliminating that you just think like, oh, I must be doing something good for my baby by eliminating dairy where actually it's not a great time to make things more difficult for yourself. If you've been eating dairy or if you're craving dairy, it seems like. Yeah, that's actually really, I had that exact experience. I went through a period where I eliminated dairy and I actually ended up going to a breastfeeding support group and my son pulled off and started coughing and there was actually still milk like shooting out Mm -hmm. and they were like, there's your problem. (laughs) It's not dairy, but I had like bags in my freezer labeled and I like counted the days of how long I hear that it takes like, well, you would know a couple weeks maybe for the dairy to get out of your system. So it's funny because I had that exact same experience and I immediately jumped, like Michelle said, to the, the nutrition side of it, to the food side of it. And it was not, it wasn't that at all. It was just a mechanical thing with, you know, supply. So. Yeah. And I see that all the time. Honestly, I really do. And I, so I think sometimes women come to me already and they've, you know, eliminated two, three, four, five, six things from their diet. And I feel bad because I'm like, I really think this is something that if you just adjust your latch a little bit, you could eat all of these foods again, you know, or if sometimes it's related to tongue tie and I'll, I'll tell them that I said, you know, if I really think if your baby had a revision done, this would eliminate, you know, 90% of the issues that you're having. What I would like to see, because I don't know if you guys saw, there was a study that was published earlier this year about, um, dairy intolerance being, uh, or I'm sorry, dairy allergies being like way overdiagnosed in babies. And I think this is what's happening is moms are presenting with babies who are spitting up a lot or just seem kind of irritable or, you know, maybe their stools are a little bit off. And I think the doctors are just telling them to cut out dairy and, and I don't fault doctors for that because most like pediatricians don't really have much education in, in lactation or nutrition. Um, and, and, you know, you can't be a jack of all trades. So I'm not mad at them for that. But what I wish is that they would offer breastfeeding moms breastfeeding support, um, you know, either referring them to another lactation consultant or recommending that they, yeah, see, see a lactation consultant. I think that would be really helpful be, instead of just saying, well, cut out dairy and see how it goes. Yeah, because it really is a lot to ask, like I said, when you're in this postpartum period and if it's like change your whole diet, um, it's not easy. But yeah, so I I don't know if the advice you just said was specific to dairy, but I've definitely heard of other moms like finding an egg issue in baby, like they've eliminated a bunch of different things and discovered that it was eggs. Would the symptoms present the same or is there something that would make you jump to dairy or jump to something else? Um, or is it kind of just like, here's some symptoms of an intolerance and now it's a guess and check? <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of all of the above. So what we do know is that for babies who do have true um, food allergies or even um, just intolerances or sensitive sensitivities, dairy is the main culprit. And so I don't think it's unreasonable to suspect dairy first. Um, eggs usually are associated with eczema. So if, if a child has really severe eczema or even moderate eczema, a lot of times Um, it can be associated with an egg allergy, but not necessarily. Um, sometimes eczema is related to gut health. Um, and it could be baby's gut health as well as mom's gut health. And so, um, as opposed to taking something out of the diet, we look at, you know, trying to heal the gut and improve gut health through probiotics and prebiotics and fermented foods. Um, so that sometimes can be really helpful, but, Usually I think dairy is, uh, dairy is usually the first one to eliminate because it, it is the number one, uh, most prevalent allergy in infants. Okay. And I will say like, I know I already said this, but 
you have a ton of awesome information on your page about like getting specific nutrients without dairy. But it sounds like what you're saying is if there were these symptoms present, you'd start with dairy because it's so common and then maybe go to other things if that wasn't solving it. Right. Yes. And I also, like I said, I also like to know, I like to know what mom's opinion is. <laughs> I think it's really important. Um, you know, uh, like, like you said with the curry, you know, if a mom comes to me and she says, I, I know it is, um, red peppers, you know, if she says every single time I had red peppers, my baby breaks out in this rash and they're crying for days, then I believe her. And I say, okay, well, let's, let's take out red peppers from your diet and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, so I do, I do think that, you know, a lot of times moms have a good sense of intuition with what's going on with their babies. And so, you know, I don't like to dismiss that at all. Um, so we just kind of take it, take it one food item at a time. (laughs) I prefer to do it that way. I know there are some, um, some allergists and some other lactation consultants or maybe some other dietitians who who do actually recommend taking out everything at once or like the main culprits and then adding things back in. I personally think that's a lot harder on mom. Like you said, that's a lot to expect, I think, from a new mother. So I, I personally like to try to just do one thing at a time and see what happens. Yeah. And that seems, I think, more sustainable too. Again, moms, I feel like so often just sort of forget about their own nutrition. And, you know, it's really important that moms stay nourished themselves. Like apart from breastfeeding, if you're cutting out all these foods, you know, you're setting yourself up for potentially becoming depleted yourself. And that's the last thing your baby needs um, is a depleted mom. So I love that approach. I think that's really smart. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've had clients come to me where they have already on their own eliminated like I mean literally like 10 foods from their diet and sometimes it's all the main proteins, you know, two or three vegetables uh and 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 they are struggling. They're really struggling. They don't know what to eat. They're eating like the same four foods for every meal every day. They're losing excessive amounts of weight. Um they have no energy. And so it's it's really heartbreaking actually. And I, I, I feel for them. And, you know, my hope is with those types of clients to really address the root issue, like what's really going on and fix that first. And then hopefully what that means is that mom can add some foods back into her diet. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So shifting gears to the most important stuff. thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, alcohol and caffeine are, are two questions I know so many moms have in terms of how much is safe and you know when is safe is it safe at all so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on all of that yeah super common questions and can be a little controversial and and only because I think these are um I think it's alcohol especially is a topic that a lot of people feel passionate about and have strong opinions on. And I respect that. So when we're talking about alcohol, especially, I always tell moms, you know, to do what you're comfortable doing. Like there's no, there's no, like you have to do this when it comes to drinking alcohol. So, you know, just because it's technically safe and it is, it doesn't mean that you have to do it. If it doesn't feel comfortable to you, if you're not somebody who enjoys a glass of wine here or there, then then you don't have to have one. Um, so I, I kind of always like to put that disclaimer out because, again, I, I think it is a topic that a lot of people have really strong opinions on. Um, so that being said, you can definitely have alcohol and caffeine um, in moderation. They both do pass through breast milk. Um, so caffeine and alcohol do pass through the breast milk. Your baby will get some, but it is very, very very minuscule. Um, I think for alcohol, it's, uh, like two, I think it's less than 2%, um, of the alcohol consumed by a mom will pass, um, into her milk. So, which if you think about in like the way blood alcohol is, uh, uh, is dosed in terms of like percentages, you know, like 0.08, um, so less than 2% of 0.08, 
will pass through the baby. So again, for some people, that's still going to be like way too much. And that's, that's perfectly okay. But for the, the mom who would like to enjoy a glass of wine or two here and there, absolutely. It's okay in moderation. Um, there's no need to pump and dump. There's no need to wait even. Um, some experts will say you should wait an hour or two before breastfeeding. You really don't have to. Again, the amount that passes is very, very small. Um, and um, the other thing with alcohol that I do always mention to moms is don't waste your money on those test strips. There are test strips out there that will you can like measure um, the amount of alcohol in your in your milk if you were to pump, and then you it's they're like um they're like a litmus paper type of thing where you would stick the strip mm-hmm. in the breast milk, and they are not accurate at all, and I, they're just kind of just a marketing scam. So um, I don't really recommend those. Um, you know, something you'll hear a lot, and I'm kind of of this belief, if you are sober enough to drive, you are sober enough to breastfeed. And as long as you are safe enough to actually hold your baby, then you're safe enough to breastfeed. And the same with the same goes with coffee and caffeine. Um, there are some babies who are sensitive to caffeine, but again, it's not the majority. And there's plenty of moms who drink you know, three cups of coffee a day and their babies sleep just fine. Their babies aren't irritable. Um, so it, it is considered safe. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. It's funny. Cause it's like, you're coming from this time when you didn't have any alcohol or caffeine mm-hmm. or, or little in, when you're pregnant, but then, you know, the sleep deprivation, I think just hits you like crazy and the stress. And it seems like moms seem to start to crave it. But I, I remember the first time I had a glass of wine, I had like two or three sips and I was like, I'm out. Like I, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't do it. I'm done. Like I, I could already feel it. It had been so long since I had had anything that I, I, I was in that boat. I just didn't feel good about it because it, it kind of shocked me a little bit how it made me feel so quickly. So, um, it, it is good to know, but it's funny how your kind of your perspective, I think just changes. Absolutely. After- one way or another and either way is fine. It's just, um, it is, it's not, it wasn't the experience I expected. I expected to be like, I need some wine right now. <laughs> um, but it, that definitely was not the case. So yeah. It's interesting. And I think it's important to talk about because, you know, I do think, I do think there are some women who choose not to breastfeed because they think that they can't enjoy, you know, an adult beverage or because they have to give up drinking their, you know, their monster drinks or or whatever it may be. I I do think there are some women who, who will choose not to breastfeed for those reasons. And so I think it's really important that we talk about it, um, in terms of, you know, it is okay to do, um, obviously I don't encourage excessive drinking or anything like that, but, um, like I said, having having the occasional drink is fine and there's no need to wait and there's no need to pump and dump. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing that some women might struggle with there too, and I this happened to me one time when my parents were visiting and we went out to eat and I sort of had this pause before I ordered a drink because I was like, what, what will everyone else think? Like, not just my family, but just like even the waiter, like, well, they think I'm being a bad mom because yes. my kid is sick. Really, you know, so it's like, I'm like wearing my baby. Can I, are people going to like, look at me funny if I have a drink in my hand? It's just a very, it's a weird kind of this like societal expectation. I feel like, and there's already so much pressure on you of like, am I, am I doing the right things as a brand new mom? So I think there's that aspect that weighs into it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And that stuff is so cultural too. Like, like the sushi thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, women in Japan eat sushi when they're pregnant. Like it, it, like it's cultural, not necessarily evidence-based. Um, but yeah, you do kind of get the looks and like the people who are like, wait, you're not supposed to be doing that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I experienced that personally. I actually have a picture of my friend took a picture of me in a beer garden, drinking a beer while I was breastfeeding my baby. It actually wasn't a baby. I think she was maybe almost two at the time. So you can imagine the looks I got because here I am breastfeeding a toddler in public while drinking a beer. Um, yeah, it's, it is one of those kind of uncomfortable topics and you don't, 
you don't want to get those types of comments or the stares. And so um, I think you're right. I think a lot of women do hesitate. Yeah. And this actually might be a good place to just throw a quick disclaimer. This is not a substitute for medical advice. <laughs> we This is for information only, but um, yeah, if your doctor tells you something else, go with that. But Absolutely. Yes. And I always, that's, that's a great, um, that is a great reminder because again, I always tell the same thing that even though I am a dietitian and a lactation consultant, I am not your dietitian or your lactation consultant. So everything I share is for educational purposes only. Yes, absolutely. So, um, well, yeah, we've talked about some things to like avoid or not avoid, but what about things like we know that you want to keep taking your prenatal when you're breastfeeding, but are there other things we want to focus on in terms of making our breast milk as nutrient dense as we can? Yeah, there are. And, and, you know, we've had this kind of struggle, I think, in the world of lactation with acknowledging that nutrition does matter. Um, you know, I, I, again, I am, I am a strong proponent for breastfeeding regardless of what your diet looks like. Um, I don't, really have a definition of a perfect diet. And so I don't think anyone ever achieves that. And, um, a breast milk will always be the best thing for your baby, regardless of what you eat, but we can't ignore the fact that there are some nutrients in breast milk that are affected by mom's diet. You know, a couple of the really important ones are, um, DHA, vitamin D and choline, uh, we know especially DHA is the single most influenced nutrient by mom's diet when it comes to breast milk. So the other nutrients can change minimally based on your diet, but DHA is a big one. So really like it is directly affected by how much DHA mom takes in her diet. And DHA is so important for a developing infant. It's critical for the development of their brain. Um, it's critical for the development of their eyes and vision, just cognitive function in general. And then it's also really important for mom too, um, you know, just for, for mental health, for mental clarity. It helps with the mommy brain. Um, it's been linked to helping um, prevent or reduce symptoms of postpartum depression. So, DHA is um, one of the essential omega-3 fatty acids. So in really simple terms, it's a, it's a healthy, good fat. And it's mostly found in fish and seafood, uh, fatty cold water fish especially is the best source. So um, salmon, uh, sardines, mackerel, um, you can find it in some seafood like uh, oysters and shrimp as well. So I definitely encourage moms to consume um, fish or seafood in their diet on a pretty regular basis. Um, and if they don't or can't, either maybe they have a food allergy themselves or they just don't care for it, or they, um, or maybe they live in a part of the country that just really isn't, you know, they're not going to get good quality uh, fish or seafood, then definitely I recommend taking a DHA supplement for those moms um, because it is that important. Is there a specific kind of supplement you recommend? Um, I usually recommend fish oil. I don't have like a brand preference or anything, um, but I usually recommend just a, a fish oil or cod liver oil. Um, those are usually just the two that I would recommend. If mom, um, again, is allergic to fish or doesn't eat fish for, you know, maybe she's a vegetarian or what have you, then you can also do um, algae, an algae supplement. Um, because technically the fatty fish that have DHA get their DHA from the algae that they eat. So if you don't like to eat fish or can't eat fish, you can also just go straight to the algae. Okay. And I'll just add on from my nutrition background, like with the fish oil to um, look for one that's not heat processed. Cause if it's heat processed to get the oil out of the fish, then it's often like a damaged fat. So I would look for that in the supplement. Yeah. So I think just in general, like light heat and air are the three things that are going to probably damage or oxidize the oil in a fish, just like they will in, you know, like olive oil on your counter. So um, I think too, like 
that just looking for a really high quality source is, is helpful. I mean, they, yes, they all have DHA, but ideally, you know, a more high quality one will not be oxidized by like light heat or air. Yeah, absolutely. And and then you're less likely to run into the risk of any contaminants as well, things like mercury. So absolutely looking for a high quality product. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like, I mean, fatty fish sound like a, you know, sort of a, a good power food or superfood, I guess, for a breastfeeding mom. Are there any other foods that you think are particularly nutritious, whether it's, um, you know, just for their nutrient density or how they might impact breast milk? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think <laughs> I tend to geek out about salmon and eggs for breastfeeding moms. <laughs> um, yes, we are sisters from another mister. Those are my yes, two favorites. Yeah, same here. And and the reason is, is like, I mean, you know, the, the word superfood is kind of cheesy to me, but um, I really think that those two foods specifically are like nutrition powerhouses. I mean, they are the most nutrient dense foods, especially when we're talking about the important nutrients for a breastfeeding mom. So again, choline, DHA, vitamin D, you're going to get those in, in, I mean, salmon's going to provide a ton of vitamin D and DHA. Eggs can provide all three potentially. Um, so those are, and plus you're getting protein that you desperately need as well. So, um, I really like salmon and eggs for breastfeeding moms. If we are talking about, um, you know, like complex carbohydrates, um, sweet potatoes are a great choice. Um, you know, we also hear a lot about oatmeal in terms of being a milk supply booster. Um, there is some um, actual science evidence behind that. Um, same with sweet potatoes, but it's mostly anecdotal. Um, but I think, again, you know, those are two um, pretty healthy carbohydrates to have in your diet. Um, you're going to get a lot of fiber. Um, and some of the B vitamins as well from those. So um, sweet potatoes and oatmeal are a good a good um, carb to include. You know, obviously any fruits and vegetables are always going to be healthy. There are a couple that um, that can help a little bit with milk supply, and asparagus is one of them. So there's there's several different foods that contain the amino acid tryptophan, but there has been a little bit of research on asparagus specifically. And the tryptophan um, increases prolactin, which prolactin is a hormone that's responsible for milk production. So they've seen in some research that asparagus specifically, that tryptophan can potentially um, cause a little boost in milk production for women. Um, so I always suggest asparagus. Um, other herbs and like spices, things like ginger. Um, so ginger is, uh, really great for the immune system, but it's also considered a natural milk booster, especially in a lot of other parts of the world. Um, this is given to postpartum women just regularly, um, because it's, it's thought to help, uh, increase, uh, their milk supply. And there was, uh, there was a study that was done not too long ago. I want to say it was maybe three or four years ago that, um, what they did was they gave women, um, capsules of ginger of like powdered ginger, um, in their first week postpartum. And those women saw, um, increased milk supply when compared to women that were not given the capsules. So again, it's just one study, but it's, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, they only saw the results when the women were given the ginger like right away, like starting in that first week. They did it with some other women later on postpartum and they didn't see the effects as much. So, but the ones that took it in the first week, they noticed that they tended to have an average um, amount of milk supply that was higher than the other women. Interesting. Yeah. And then there's, there's a few other things, uh, flaxseed, chia seeds, uh, fennel, um, can also be natural uh, milk enhancers. A lot of the lactation supplements contain those ingredients, um, as well as something called moringa. I don't know if you guys have heard of moringa, if you're familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. So moringa is, again, another one of these like just incredibly nutrient-dense um, foods, if you will. It's, it's really what it is. It's the leaves of the moringa tree. Um, and they are packed with iron, 
calcium and vitamin C. And there's been a ton of studies on Moringa and its effectiveness in increasing milk supply. Yeah, no, it's, we were just talking about it, Michelle and I, because she was like, I don't know, I can't get into it. It's so earthy tasting. So <laughs> um, I, I really like it. I like that earthy taste, but um, how do you, do you recommend like smoothies or how do you recommend people take it? Cause I always did smoothies and I kind of liked that sort of grassy taste it gave, but I can completely appreciate if people are not into that. I usually do recommend it in a smoothie as well. Um, a lot of times it comes in, again, it's a, it's a pretty popular ingredient in lactation supplements. So you might get it in the form of a powder, um, or in a capsule, um, sometimes it's included in like a lactation tea blend. Um, but if you are doing just straight Moringa on your own, not like as part of a blend, then yeah, I usually do recommend putting it in some sort of a smoothie just to kind of make that taste a little bit more palatable. I will say though, is so it also goes by the name Molongai. It's the same plant, mm-hmm. but like a different area of the world calls it that or yeah and so my sister actually like heard from her boyfriend was filipino and his mom said about this so they went to a filipino market and like it fresh um when i was breastfeeding my son and that i loved it's more like you could use it in soups Mm. and like in place of spinach just like put in the fresh leaves at the end and that did not have that taste (laughs) Yeah, that's very cool. I wonder if it has to do with maybe the drying process where it gives it more of that earthy taste, or I wonder if it's just where it comes it comes from, like what part of the world. Yeah, it's really it's really popular in the Philipp- Philippines and in India, and it's a big part of postpartum culture in both countries. Yeah, yeah, and we did we dried some and made it into like tea, and that did have that taste. So I do think it's the drying. But yeah, so I found out later, like, oh yeah, this is actually a huge thing, but I didn't didn't know that at the time. So, so yeah, I guess just around the milk supply boosting, is there something I've noticed? Like, I kind of take some of those drops that have the fennel and uh, the fenugreek and some of that other stuff. Um, I think it makes a difference for my pumping output. But when when would you recommend somebody maybe turning to some of those to boost supply? I usually recommend them when there's really seems to be a true issue with supply, Um, especially the ones that contain fenugreek. And I, and only because fenugreek sometimes can have um, uncomfortable side effects. Like it can cause some GI distress in both mom and babies. And it also has kind of that weird smell that it can sometimes emit, especially if moms are taking a pretty high dose. So I usually don't recommend lactation supplements in potency um, where we really, we need to actually kind of, you know, dose what mom is taking in terms of like fenugreek or something like moringa or even something that's, you know, prescribed um, if mom really has a true low milk supply. Um, Otherwise I usually try to first, you know, see if we can increase supply uh, just by, pumping or breastfeeding more. Um, cause that really is like the only, I don't want to say the only, but that's really the like tried and true method for increasing your supply because it's all about supply and demand. And so I think sometimes if moms can add in another pumping session or another, um, breastfeeding session, sometimes they will see their supply go up just with that alone. Now, if it's somebody that I've been working with for a while and we've done that and it doesn't seem to be helping, then absolutely we could try something like fenugreek or um, or moringa or something else and see um, if that can help. Yeah, and I that does make a lot of sense, and I'm not surprised that that's your answer because <laughs> I, I think I the reason I kind of take them is because I had supply issues with my first child, like a totally different baby, but it carries over to think like. Well, I want my supply to be as good as possible, so I should just preemptively take all this stuff. Yeah, and again, I think I think a lot of moms do. I mean, let's let's be honest; like these products wouldn't exist if moms didn't demand them, right? I mean, there are if you Google lactation cookies, there's a gazillion recipes that come up. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's something that 
that we want, that we've, you know, demanded. And so there is a huge market for it. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that they don't work and I'm not saying that you shouldn't try them. Um, I just think sometimes, sometimes women turn to them without, again, addressing the basics. Like, okay, are we, are you, is your baby effectively removing milk? Are you, um, doing it enough times a day, you know, is what is causing you to think that you have low supply? Maybe you don't, you just have this perception that you do because, you know, your next door neighbor pumps 10 ounces at every setting and you only pump five at every setting. So I always like to like, again, get back to basics and see like what's going on. Like, why do you think you need something like fenugreek or, you know, lactation, lactation cookies? And let's talk about that first. And then we can see if, if, something additional will be supportive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And even like like what you said, so if it's a lactation cookie that like you want cookies anyway, but you're adding in some flax seeds, like that's not the same as taking a a large supplement of fenugreek, like like you said, like dosing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, have at it with the cookies. <laughs> Again, <laughs> they're going to be, yeah. If you're having like a flax, you know, almond flour, uh, maple syrup cookie that has, yeah, some ginger in it too, then, then great. Enjoy the cookie. You know, I mean, we all deserve a treat while we're pumping or what have you, but, um, right. But I don't, I don't think, and I haven't seen in that's been supported by research and even anecdotally with my clients, I have never seen somebody go from having a low supply to having adequate supply by eating lactation cookies. It just hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah, that's really good to know. I I do have a question. It's probably going to be a similar answer, but I've been seeing a lot. I'm getting like like Instagram ads and I've just been seeing a lot about to like hydration and electrolyte balance boosting supply. Is there, I can see how it could help mama's overall well-being, but I'm just curious if you've seen any research or studies around like electrolytes or hydration in general when it comes to, uh, you know, just breastfeeding or pumping, or is it more of a, if you're lacking in it, it can hurt, but excessive amounts aren't going to necessarily help type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So here's, here's what I think happens. I think a lot of postpartum women are either not drinking enough water um, or they're drinking enough water, but they're not getting enough electrolytes. And so they're ending up basically dehydrated anyways. Um, and, you know, we always tell breastfeeding moms that they have to stay hydrated, that to stay hydrated, that you need to drink tons of water. And that's not necessarily true. Um, it, it really, there really isn't this, you know, correlation between the amount of water you drink and the amount of milk that you make. Um, certainly you need to stay hydrated, but I, I really tell moms to just drink to thirst. Um, I, I don't think there's a reason for a breastfeeding mom to drink a hundred ounces of water every day. Now, that being said, if you are drinking large amounts of water, you absolutely need to be supplementing probably with some electrolytes because again, you're just going to dilute yourself. Um, mm -hmm. so I think, I think there is a correlation obviously between electrolytes and hydration. Um, and so I think that is the key that's missing. I think a lot of women thinks, think, oh, it's electrolytes. And then other women think, oh, it's water. But I think really it's both. It's a balance between the two. Um, and so that's why we'll see a lot of times where, you know, uh, all of a sudden red Gatorade is like the craze, you know, oh, just drink red Gatorade and you'll see your milk supply go up. Or there's like the Starbucks pink drink. That's another one I hear a lot about um, helping with milk supply or things like um, the Armour electrolyte drinks um, mm -hmm. or other products like that. Coconut uh, water even um, as like miracle milk boosters. And I, I think really what's happening is those women are, are either not getting enough water to start with or not getting enough electrolytes to start with. And so when they have those, that corrects that balance or that imbalance, I should say. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's just one of those new things that now I probably clicked on something at some point and now I feel like I keep seeing it and it's it's just a curious thing to me. So yeah, and I, to I'm a fan of electrolyte supplements. Like I actually take one almost daily uh, 
especially if I'm working out, especially if it's summer and I'm sweating a lot, because I do think that we don't get that balance. Um, and I, I, do, I think salt is an important nutrient. And I think a lot of postpartum moms are still probably under that mindset from pregnancy that they should be avoiding salt or limiting salt, which is, is a whole nother topic. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that kind of carries, carries over into postpartum sometimes. And so again, you have women that are drinking, you know, a gallon of water every day and limiting their salt, you're going to have, you're going to throw your body out of whack. And I think that that imbalance between electrolyte and hydration can definitely affect your milk supply. For sure. And just, I mean, so many things beyond even milk supply when it comes to health, I think too, definitely. in terms of just energy and thyroid. And so there's so many things. So yes, it's a good reminder. Well, that was, this was so good. <laughs> like I, I keep saying, I wish I had all this information when I was going through this with my first kid, but I'm, I'm so glad we're able to put this out there. You are such a wealth of information. Is there anything else you wanted to share or do you want to let people know where they can find you? Sure. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Um, people can find me on social media. I'm pretty active, um, especially on Instagram. I'm at the lactation dietitian. So it's the dot lactation dot dietitian. Um, my website is www.mamaandsweetpeanutrition.com. Um, so you can find me there. I do blog occasionally, although <laughs> in full honesty, it's been a couple months since I've put out anything new. Um, uh, yeah. And then I also have an ebook that's available um, that's on um, eliminating uh, allergens from your diet while breastfeeding. So if you find yourself in that situation, um, this ebook provides a lot of guidance on specifically like what ingredients you have to look for, um, substitutions that you can include, you know, nutrients to be aware of and, and things along those lines. So that's something, um, another resource as well. Yeah. And you also see clients one-on-one. I do. I do. Yeah. I'm, I am currently still doing all virtual. Um, I'm hoping to figure out, logistics around doing some more, um, in person here locally. Um, but that's all been kind of been put on a big halt for obvious reasons. So, um, but yes, I'm available one-on-one for virtual counseling. Absolutely. Okay. And Hillary, where can we find you? And I am on Instagram as well at Purposeful Plate Nutrition and my website is PurposefulPlateNutrition.com. That may change by the next time we talk. So you can also find me if you go to HillaryBennett's.com and we'll redirect Purposeful Plate. Um, But yeah, I am less active on Instagram, still present. Uh, You can contact me through my website or send me a direct message on Instagram. And you can find me, Michelle, at michelletaggy.nutrition and at michelletaggy.com. And I will talk to you all next week. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much.